Welcome to You Down, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. My mom's first reaction was like, boys are going to be laughing and masturbating at you. They're going to be in <laughs> oh circles reading your stuff. I'm like, what porn did my mom watch? <laughs> Hi, everyone, and welcome back to You Down, a podcast where four funny honeys come together to talk about what's going on in the culture. I'm Mamia Aforo. I'm Yasmin Monet Watkins. I'm Ashley Holston. And I'm Shakira Janae Pei. But collectively, we are known as Obama's Other Daughters. And today, we are asking, are you down with sex? Mm, no. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's, Let's talk, talk about, about you and me. I mean, we all are down with sex, right? Well, with the exception of the asexual community, we see y'all, y'all are valid too. Mm-hmm. Uh, sex is a thing that most of us have. But why is it such a taboo topic? Today, OOD is delving into all the naughty bits and taking a deep dive all puns intended, into the murky waters of sex. And joining us today, we're speaking to sex educator and relationship expert, Shan Boudram. But first, let's check in with each other. What y'all loving? What you hating this week? All right. What I'm hating is that y'all remember that pool I was talking about loving so much (laughs) that I have access to a pool right outside of my Airbnb currently. What I'm hating about it is that kids love pools, y'all. They do. They love them. They like to they... scream in them. And splashing them. What you getting in pool splashing? I don't even mind the splash because I, <laughs> I splash too. I want to be wet in the pool. <laughs> but like, why are you screaming at the top of your lungs to the point where I don't know if you're hurt or if you're having fun? <laughs> Meanwhile, there's uh, nothing more joyful than walking by the pool in our building and seeing like the neighborhood kids, especially black kids playing in the pool. I'm just like... <sighs> Oh, come on, Black Joy. Y'all better, like... As long as you keep... Use your inside voice outside. (laughs) Right. But y'all, these kids should be in school. They should be. 10.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. They are in that pool. You know the worst part is, like, when I was a kid, that was me. And it would be like, there's a monster! (laughs) (laughs) Like, screaming. No reason to have that much energy, but they do. They what I think it. is they funny is that we were the screaming kids and now we're like the one who wants to go spank somebody. <laughs> I don't want to spank them. I just want them to give me some adult time in the pool. You yes. know, just mm-hmm. an hour or two. The pool closes six. You going to be there all damn day? <laughs> <sighs> Guys, what I'm hating is that like we've been in COVID for a minute now and I have a hairstyle that is... You know, it's been lasting, but as a lot of y'all know, I've lost a few <laughs> twists uh, <laughs> to the winds. They are missing dreads in my head right now. It's just like a few where it's like you could tell that they slipped off in water or or they just disappeared. So I've been trying to cover them. When I put it up in a ponytail, I'm trying to tuck the, the messed up pieces. <laughs> and I'm at that point where I'm like, well, I could take it out and then... I'm starting all over and have to do my hair again. And I don't want to do it. Can you, like, put them back in? I just was struggling. I'm not good with, like, crochet. It's a crochet style of putting it in. I I can braid and I can twist, but I can't figure out. I did put one back in and it came back out again. So I was like, 
Mm. It's hard to secure them. And that point where you're like, your hair is raggedy, but you're still yeah. trying to hold on to it. Because I'm yeah. here too. Because I, I tried to take a picture the other day. I went to the beach and I was like, let me get a picture of this beautiful water. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, girl, your hair looked raggedy. And I was trying to also <laughs> tuck the pieces. It's like my hair is poking through the, some of the braids. Yeah, that, it is tragic. The thing that I hate, it literally boils my blood when I see people turning somewhere without a turn signal. Like, if you're both at a light coming from opposite directions and they turn right but don't have the blinker on, then you don't, you know what I mean? Like, you're waiting for them. Savages. Yes. It's like, to use your fucking blinker, dog. It's crazy because in L.A., I found that nobody uses a blinker. Like, (laughs) coming from Virginia, I was like, oh, they just don't use turn signals here. Um, So it's it's crazy that that's your hometown and that's what you're... I know. It's funny (laughs) because it's not a part of the rules here. You don't have to. Wait, that's a real law? Yeah, you don't you have don't to have use to your use turn, turn signals. signals. Not in LA. We won't need a fact <laughs> check on that one. Right? <laughs> Google it. Google it. <laughs> I just didn't know that. That's the thing. Why? They put them on every car. Why would California be? You just don't have to use them. You should. I, or actually to change lanes. Sorry. Let me be specific. To change lanes, you don't have to use a turn signal. That is oh. what I remember from taking that test because I got it wrong. And I was like, yes, you do. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> and they were like, no, you don't have to. You should, but you don't have to. For a place so stuck on therapy and communication, not using a turn signal is not good communication Ugh. in California. <laughs> it's the worst thing because you're just sitting there waiting for them to cross or whatever, and the whole time they could they were turning the other way and you could have gone through. Okay, Mamiya, uh, what what are you loving? Because Yaz needs a moment. <laughs> I'll add, I'm hating something this week. Oh, we oh yes. Week. Yeah. Okay. I don't like being undervalued, guys. Mm. I like it. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much of I can say about this situation, but basically, like, if you're, you know, getting a deal or something, and then your representation knows exactly what somebody else who mm. might not be black got mm-hmm. for a similar deal with the exact same qualifications, and the people are saying— oh, this is outlandish. This person's unexperienced. And thank Mm. God that I have somebody who knows facts that there are people who have just as much experience as I do who are getting a certain rate. So that has hit me. um, Just with everything going on in the world, I'm like, Mm -hmm. pay black women what we're worth. And don't see who I am and add my intersectionality and then decrease whatever because of the that don't don't mm-hmm. do it stop it stop and stop acting like you're trying to help people when you make shit like that happen okay i'm done Ooh, my blood is still hot mamia i feel you girl the blatant disrespect for black women particularly the way we get paid it's like how why it's annoying just to have to fight for space that other people don't have to fight for. I guess that's really what it is. Well, you know something that always cools me down? I know y'all hot right now. Or actually, it might make you hotter. I don't know how you you (laughs) react to sex, but that's our main topic today, and I'm ready to get into it, y'all. Yes. Listeners, stick around because we have a special guest coming, and you'll want to hear her advice on some sex. But first, we're going to take a quick break. She coming, y'all. And Auntie, sign off. (laughs) 
This is the time to leave, aunties. Do not listen any further. <laughs> yes, please. Yes, any not family members, work. this is your cue to exit because we, we go in there. Joining us today, we're so, so hyped to be inviting Shan Boudram. Yes. <laughs> and with the French accent you put on there, too. Okay. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Shan is the internet's most sought-after certified sex educator, dating coach, and relationship expert with over 40 million YouTube views alongside her mainstream coverage across all the major TV networks, the New York Times, Forbes, and Time Magazine. Woo-hoo. Wow. Boudram is a best-selling author and the host of a new daily show on Quibi, Sexology, okay. with Shan Boudram. We are so excited to have you here with us today for our Steamy sex episode. Welcome, Shan. Coming up cake. Hey, hey, hey. Can I just say how incredibly intimidating it is? Because like, if this was a social gathering and there was this group of stunning women standing <laughs> in the corner who are all hilarious, enjoying a conversation, I would never in a million years walk up to you. So, the um, oh, joy. Oh, you can <laughs> totally sit with us. us. Yeah. Yeah. We would you, you have a seat at, at the table, girl. Mm. Well, this is an example of why you got to put yourself out there because you never know what could happen. But um, Mm -hmm. my first instinct would be like, I can just leave. (laughs) (laughs) Don't need me. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But welcome. So our first question, when it comes to intimacy and sex, a lot of us were not set up for success. We might have gotten a measly sex ed class in middle school that definitely missed the mark or a vague birds and bees talk from the parents. But you speak in a way that educates our, our generation. So why do you think sex is such a taboo topic? One, I think it's just about the virtue of societal enhancement. So oftentimes when we talk about like back in the day, right, when like premarital sex or any type of masturbation even was completely frowned upon, it's just because if you had sex with multiple partners, there wasn't the healthcare system that we have today to facilitate any STIs, STDs that can come up. If you're having sex with multiple partners, there wasn't the birth control options that we have today. And so anything sexual was like viewed as a gateway drug to choices that there really was no scaffolding or support system for you should things not go according to plan. So mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. that a lot of like that outdated fear-based sex is sort of based on a world that we don't live in today because now we have the luxury of being like, you don't have to worry about getting pregnant because there's like 40 different birth control options. And as much as we should be concerned about sexual transmitted infections and diseases, there are incredible tools out there that anyone can buy on Amazon or at their local 7-Eleven uh, to ensure themselves and, and protection. Yeah. Aside from that too, it's just the purity myth, right? There's just this mm-hmm. fear that if you're sexual, you're no longer pure. This fear that if you're sexual, that this is going to overrun your life. I mean, mm. just the F word in general, I think mm-hmm. fear is a big part of it, yeah. which is crazy because how do we all got here? <laughs> right. <When> I-, <laughs> I was dropped off by a stork. Okay, we got, we got one stork person. That's statistically, that's, that's about right. I feel like my culture, Ghanaian, like I've never talked to my parents about sex or even a peep or a kiss or anything. And I'm like... Y'all be fucking. I know you do. Where, where did we come from? Case the point. Yeah. <laughs> and that was a big thing for me is when I first started in this space. I started in like 2004 or so. And I would get really embarrassed, right, when somebody asked what it is that I did for a living. Because, you know, even in my, I come from a Caribbean family. Um, my mom's first reaction was like, boys are going to be laughing and masturbating at you. They're going to be in oh circles reading your stuff. I'm like, what porn did my mom watch? <laughs> 
just imagine him <laughs> masturbating at you. In circles. Yes. I feel like that is a fear that a lot of people have. You know, we talked about like a lot of people have a foot fetish and I was like, I don't know, I might sell my my foot pictures. I don't know, pay some rent. And it's like, but what are they going to do with your pictures? Can we see them? You want to see my feet right now? I would love to. I'm not to that flexible. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, They're not the best, but everyone, there's a foot out there. You can sell your there's foot to anybody. I'm telling everybody. you, there's someone who, who wants to see your calluses and your corns, I promise you. <laughs> but that idea, like, well, what are the men going to do with it is so yeah. prevalent. She's like, I don't care what they do with it. Right. <laughs> I really don't. It's for me. Right. And that's the thing about it is, too, is in in general, your sexuality is for you. And of course, you have to be mindful of how it interacts with others. But Mm -hmm. if you dive into this part of your life with knowledge and with scaffolding and with help, you're likely to make better decisions versus the opposite. A lot of people think the less you know, the higher chances you have of like avoiding all the mistakes. And that just doesn't work in any other field. And certainly, of course, statistically does not work in this field either. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oof. Mm-hmm. I mean, speaking of uh, knowing and not knowing, what should we know about our vaginas? I mean, <laughs> a.k.a. that WAP. <laughs> um, you know, fun fact, I'm, I'm sure you've heard the word vulva or like yoni being like replaced a lot for vagina. Yes. And it's because mm-hmm. the term vagina translates from the Latin word, which means sheath. And sheath is a protective piece of leather that your sword goes into. Oh, so when we ew. say vagina, we're like storage place for the penis. That's what we're wow. really um, translating it as. And the vagina really does just speak to like the actual like hole in the vaginal canal itself or the vaginal opening. So the vulva is like all the parts on the outside, including where your pubic hair grows and the big lips and the little lips and the clitoris and your Bartholin glands and all the more fun stuff, I think. Although the clitoris, of course, too, extends somewhat into the vagina. But I think it's important just to know one um that it's like a beautiful system to yes. it needs to be looked at. Yes. There's this really cool thing. I'm not very much into like uh, Eastern medicine or meditation or just that side of like sacred sexuality. But one practice I really like a lot is something that's called Yoni Puja. And it translates into like pussy worshiping. Yes. Where somebody okay. just goes on a pedestal and people bring offerings. They bring flour. They bring honey. They don't necessarily put the honey on the vulva because yeast infections and shit. But they bring these offerings and just stare at the beauty of it. So I think wow. that's important to know. Is that like a party you have and invite people to? I know. Like, <laughs> how do you like? How do you present that? Well, it could be like I mean, if we're, if you're doing it more of like as a part of uh, like a cultural ceremony, it might be something where people come, you know, and they come to worship the the yoni. Or you could just do it your own party, um, or maybe just invite your your friends. Invite each other to each other's Yoni Puja. That'd be really cool if that happened and I would show up. Wow. Okay. Bump a birthday party. We're all having yes. Yoni Pujas from now on. Would you go to each other's like Yoni Puja if you're like, hey, like come over, like Yasmin's just going to be like naked <laughs> on the top of the table. You can bring gifts and offerings. It's just an opportunity to look and to show respect and to honor. <laughs> go. I would, I would go. I, you would honor my Yoni Shakira. After this conversation, I'd definitely go. Before, I'd probably be like, I'd be like, wait, what? No, y'all. I'm sorry. I'm not going to go to Yasmin. No, actually. I'm just going to be real with y'all. I just don't want to. Yasmin, I love you and we're close. But I'm not going to put a candle at your your puja. I'm just not going to do it. Um, But I respect what you want to do, okay? Uh, And that's what's important, I think. Uh, So hearing you say that you're not like 
into like Eastern medicine and like meditation and whatnot um, makes me a little trepidatious to ask this next question. But there's a lot of mystery around orgasms, right? And something that I've heard is that if you manifest after orgasming, that it's a higher chance that those things will manifest. Have you heard of, of this? That sounds logical. I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of like probability. So I think the more that you think about anything, the more that you probably put like process and strategy behind, the more likely it will to come true. And so maybe after mm. orgasm, you experience more clear head, depending on what, on what mm. your refractory period is. So some people post-orgasm get very sleepy. Some people get very tired. Some people get very horny. Like when's the next round happening? And some people might have like a moment of clarity, like kind of like a post-shrooms come down. So if you are part of that, people who experience that refractory period where you do feel more clarity of mind, I would assume that putting intention behind bigger goals would be smart to do during that time. Okay, okay. Okay, follow-up question. How does one know, this is not a personal question, I know, how <laughs> does one know if they've had an orgasm? Like, are there levels to it? Oh. Can everyone answer that question? And then we could talk about like a universal uh, definition. But I want to hear everyone's definition yeah. of what their orgasm is. Oh, How do you know? I, I think there can be a series of smaller orgasms. Like with, uh, uh, if you're receiving, you know, head and you like build into it. And then there's like a big one. But if you use like a vibrator, I feel like it's just kind of like that big O, at least for me. And it's like a knockout. Like I'm just. I'm out. I'm out, y'all. I'm out for the count. <laughs> um, yeah, I, was, I can still, you know, go again, but I really don't. I've already come, so I don't need to keep going. But if you're getting oral, you could do multiple. Multiple. It can be like, oof, 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 you know, like, and a little bit of ecstasy for a longer period of time. But but then I could still kind of go after the big one, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel. I feel like I can go after every one of them. Yes. Uh, like, I've had people be like, I need a break. <laughs> like, I, just, I just need like a little break. I'll get back at it. But like, you still want some? So I'm just like, I know learning from TV, and I know that that's not right, but it just seems like women have this ginormous uh, explosion of feeling and then sleep. But that's not your experience, though. That's not my experience. So am I? Am I having orgasms? How do you really know? I don't know. I live for the definitions of oof and ginormous <laughs> release and then sleep. <laughs> I think for me, it's very much like there are levels to it. So like orgasming from head is more of like a mellow cum, if you will. Whereas with a vibrator or like a vibrator with penetration or with clitoral stimulation as well, it's like, oh, there it is. And my body will like orgasm for a second. I damn, and we're like trying to define it. I'm like, feel pleasure, immense pleasure for the few seconds that it lasts. And then it's like, okay, bitch, like, take this off. Like, calm down for one second. Yeah, yeah. But then after yeah. that second, then I can go again. The, after that one second. Because <laughs> that's all it takes. Right? And then I could go again. Or even after, like, if mm -hmm. my partner dips. I feel like I live for that, like, moment where my partner gets into the shower and I'm like, all right, I'm going to go after it again. <laughs> and then it's like, you know, 10 <laughs> orgasms. And then they come back and you're like, hey, I'm still at it. You want to go back? <laughs> but that initial, like, I got to remove it for a second is uh, yeah. when I'm like, okay, you didn't, you didn't, did, you did the thing. And then now I need a breath. And then Although, I can go back in. when you ignore it and keep going, 
And then you come again. That's also... I don't know. Sometimes I feel I like I there is no definition. <laughs> is there? I mean, I, it's very fascinating. I feel like, did you all bond on the fact that you're multi-orgasmic? Because it is not common. I mean, more people with vulvas are multi-orgasmic than people with penises. But I'm a one and done person. 1000%. Like my second orgasm is always like, oh, why'd you do that? Like it's sort of like when you're already full and then you go back for a second plate and you're like, oh, like it wasn't, it didn't taste as good. The food yeah. didn't hit as much. It wasn't as hot as it was. That's just how I would best yeah. describe it. It's just like maybe tomorrow would be great, yeah. but the day of, no. Mm. But so that's we're greedy. <laughs> no, <laughs> plentiful. No, just plentiful. Yeah. Um, it's wonderful. And that's the definition to your point, Ashley, is a, a sudden release of sexual tension. And so mm-hmm. that can be different things, different people. It could be tiny little oofs. It could be like, ah, oh. it could be, you know, even like, oh, I don't feel horny anymore. And so people experience that release sexual tension in a variety of different ways. Mm-hmm. People have tried to describe it as like multiple contractions of like the pelvic floor muscles that you can't imitate on your own or like a wave of euphoria followed up by a don't touch me period. But There are people who can go right into the next. There are people who don't necessarily feel that mountaintop. They just feel a little hill and it's continuous rolling hills. And so the most accurate definition is when you feel like there's been a release of sexual tension. Mm. Okay. Okay. I like it. Okay. So we all agree that saying yes to sex is saying yes to a test. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, we watch your stuff, American Sexual Health Association, (laughs) shout out. Wait, yes, shout out to them. Um, can you give us any language to better navigate asking someone to get tested before having sex and any other tips for engaging in safe sex? And like now with COVID, that's also a new thing to be like, so what's your deal? Do you leave your mask on? Yeah. <laughs> right? And that's kind of, the way that you said it's kind of hot, right? Like, should we leave our masks on? You know, and I think that's the point, you know? Um, a lot of people try to like silo off different parts of intimacy from each other, right? Like relationships from sex or safe sex from great sex. And mm-hmm. they're all actually really connected as a part of the same networks of skills. And there's slight tweaks to each one. But when you think about like what makes sex great, right? Like what is amazing sex? And it is inviting. It is consensual. It's hot. It's explorative. It gives. It takes. It ebbs. It flows. It's not perfect. But at the same time, it's about the connection. There's honesty in it. Like, talking about sex should have all those same qualities. Mm. We shouldn't be like, okay, you know, sex is about, like, oh, like, come on my face and, like, squish my tits together and, like, put some shit between it. And then we talk about safe sex and we're like, here is this form. Please fill this out. You need to know your past sexual history. Like, it doesn't flow the same. And so if we want to have sort of this continuous positive sexual experience, we just take the same attributes that we know work in one area and apply it to another. And so... The conversation around safe sex doesn't have to be different from like, what do you like? Mm-hmm. What do you want me to do to you? What turns you want? And in those cases, even then, it's always easier to give to get. So if I wanted my partner to do more of a certain sexual activity, I would start by asking like, what do you like more when I do this or I do that? Do you prefer oral? Do you prefer manual? When I start asking questions, it's someone's knee-jerk reaction, unless they're a narcissist in such a case, stop fucking them. But um, it's their reaction. <laughs> to ask questions back. And then Mm -hmm. now we're in a dialogue. And so the conversation on sexual health can be like, I feel so sexy. I feel so horny um, when I know that my health is taken care of. Like, Mm -hmm. that's just one of those things for me. Like, when my pH is in check and, you know, I've gotten, like, esteem or whatever it is that makes you feel incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, I've taken my probiotics that month. I got tested recently. Like, 
that's when I feel like my libido spikes the most. What role does sexual health play for you? And just wait. And so I think that when you give a little bit of yourself and you explain why it's important to you and you do it in an inviting way, it allows the other person to open up and do the same. Mm. And if their response is like, oh, I don't actually think about those things or I haven't done that. And you're like, oh, you know, sex is better when you know what your status is. You feel more free in the moment. There's less guilt after sex. Trust me, you know, I definitely have been there before and not tested for a while. And the thought of it is often more scary than the actual result. And the result is better sex. And I think we all want better sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just think it's the positioning of the dialogue. You can even wrap it up in the, like, what's your sexual fantasy conversation. I just say, like, just don't make it its own separate, like, thing. Like, if you're going to text me and be like, we should talk later. No matter mm-hmm. what comes next, I'm going to be, like, coming with my lawyer to that conversation. <laughs> That's how we're going Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. This is a little different. But uh, what's the best way to introduce vibrators into like uh, partner play? Oh, can we have anybody who has an example of that? Because everybody here brought up vibrators a couple times. Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> as vibrators giving you that different like big bang orgasm, which I think would be nice in partnered sex. So mm-hmm. like, anybody have an example of how they've done it? I was initially very afraid to do it because I thought that it meant that he hadn't satisfied me enough. Like it was like a shot to his manhood almost. But I ended up being like, look, I gotta, I gotta handle this. So I just pulled it out in all honesty. (laughs) Like (laughs) where, where'd you pull it from? Was it a drawer, a back pocket? Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, we were in the backseat of the truck. (laughs) Yeah, I pulled it out of my way. No, uh, it was uh, (laughs) on, uh, it was on the nightstand uh, by the bed. And I like just grabbed it and I kind of just looked at him and he was like, I don't, I don't do what you got to do. And I'm just lucky to have someone who was very open and and knows that I sometimes don't have the language to say the things that I need. But he's like, hey, if you want to come some more or you want to come and you didn't come, you know, do what you got to do. But I don't feel like it is that easy for a lot of people. I will say that the conversation came up in my past relationship and he brought it up. But then because he obviously felt some of his manhood was bruised or his ego was bruised, maybe because I wasn't like oh! from a previous partner. Yeah. Or from from a previous. Oh, partner. He, OK, no, but, no, no. But same he, relationship. But this was a he brought it up to you to say, do you want this? Yeah, because I don't really know what I could do more or less. Of. Exactly. And then I was like, um, considering it and then he got really really weird so it was like he was asking that to check and then was not comfortable Mm. with it so to what to your point ashley that it wasn't just easy peasy Mm. conversation how did the story end well we're no longer together okay there you go yeah Yeah. people just don't really have a lot of scaffolding education Mm -hmm. guidance tools that they're given in this area and then yet somehow we're shocked when people aren't great in the bedroom or we're shocked they don't know how to communicate around their sexual needs, desires, or mm-hmm. health. And it's like, you've never practiced this before. I like, don't expect right. to put a golf club in my hand and see some magic happen. I don't play that shit, you know? So <laughs> yeah, that's true. where I feel like we could have more empathy for each other in that, okay, everyone's starting point's even a little bit different. And, I, you know, we talked even here how different cultures like have a lot of barriers to even starting that process mm-hmm. of educating yourself. But- there's people who still haven't started this day. So I feel like if we have a little bit more empathy for like the fact that like we're all coming from a pretty shitty base. Yeah. And there's mm-hmm. a couple of people who are like, my mom was incredible. My mom gave me my first vibrator at age 15. I'm like, great. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the average person. 
I definitely feel like in having relationships with women prior, like, or just like, it's easier with men to be like, and also here's this, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't as hard to introduce it because it was something that a lot of women use toys as a part Mm -hmm. of it. So, Um, yeah, I feel like, uh, try to decide if it's an overshare. (laughs) No, it's not. It's not. Say it, girl. Um, it's nice if you have a partner that you're like, I don't know if Phil be cool with this, but then they're like, no, I'm more than cool with this. Do you want help? And like, try to like, like chime in a little bit. Like the ideal. With, uh, Yeah. yeah. So um, that happened once where I was like, oh, I'm happy I pulled it out because, uh, <laughs> well, now I'm getting neck kisses and <laughs> massages everywhere while I handle what I handle. <laughs> it becomes a bit of a crapshoot of like, I don't know how you're going to handle this. Let me pull it out and see what the reaction is, which fortunately you've chosen a partner who's open to that and who's done the work where they look at it like this is an addition, mm-hmm. not a subtraction to take away from what they bring to the bedroom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you don't, I feel like, again, it's a lot of times in, in relationships or intimacy, we focus so much on what the end result is. So mm-hmm. if we want our partners to get pegged, for example, like I really want to peg my partner, like that becomes like the focal point of like, how do I get them open to this kink? Versus acknowledging the journey it took you to get to to realize that you like Mm. that. Or even a foot fetish, right? It's one thing to like say to somebody, you know, on the night that you first meet them, like, can I suck your toes or put my dick between your toes? Because it gets me off that way. Another thing to start off gradually with that person, you know, compliments on their feet and like paying for a pedicure for them. Like little stuff that drops hints. And so by the time that person says that comment to you, it's just not as jarring And the same thing when it comes to sex toys. So I think a great entry point is to bring lube into the bedroom. Mm -hmm. It's another object. It's external and something that everybody can use. And now you're like, oh, bringing things into the bedroom adds more for everybody. If you've got a partner who's like particularly sensitive about even their performance, sometimes even, and this is like not planned. I'm just literally playing with this right now. But like, this is like a male masturbator. So if you have a partner with a penis, right? And so, you know, in girls trip. Yeah. She blindfolded the partner and then they did that like um, grapefruit thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which that's actually from like another sex educator. But that point is to provide this whole other sensation to like revitalize the hand job, right? Or to revitalize oral sex. And so you can bring a toy in for your partner to, and blindfolding them might be helpful too, because they may not be like open to the idea of like, can I put this on your dick? You know, so it's a way (laughs) to say, this is something that we're bringing into the bedroom to add more And then hopefully, again, if they're a giving partner, one, they'll ask you, or two, when you bring something else in, it's like, oh, that makes sense. This is now part of our routine. So you don't have to go directly from, like, no toys at all to, like, here is my 40-inch dildo that you never (laughs) compete with. Um, There's a couple of steps in between. It's nice to hear you talk about, like, it being an addition, because I think I also struggled with, like, do I get something that looks like my partner? especially in being in an interracial relationship. And I don't I don't necessarily like purple dildos or like non-human uh, colored dildos. Um, so there was just like, is it too big? Is it too black? Is it too light? You know, um, and it's just like, it's, it's an addition. It doesn't matter uh, what it looks like, I guess. Yeah, but I think, I mean, that could be an intimidation factor. For somebody who's not accustomed to it at all, um, bring in like a flesh resembling or a human body resembling body part can also spark those fears immediately. And then also acknowledging if you are having sex with people with penises, like they get so much messaging that like your 
life and your manliness and your worthiness on this planet is dependent on your penis. Like, yeah. can mm-hmm. it get hard? Can it perform? Can mm-hmm. it like solve problems and put out fires? And so <laughs> that's r- the wrong messaging, obviously, because majority of people that they're having sex with, if you're heterosexual, aren't even orgasming as a result of your penis. So I think that conversation is starting to shift. But for such a long time, they were so much like stress on the penis to do everything. Mm-hmm. And so for them, bringing in a toy that is resemblance or kind of competing could feel like a hit to the ego. Whereas and if you can find toys that are a bit more abstract, um, that don't look quite the same, that feel like something totally different than neither one of us have, that can feel a lot more inviting than the one that has, you know, a slightly darker, substantially girthier size to them. That makes so much sense because imagine if a guy, unless you were into it, brought like a white blow up doll into your bedroom. Like, would you guys Or even feel? a white fleshlight, yeah. right? Mm. Yeah. Would yeah. that make you guys feel some kind of way? I mean, if it was like a, Kim Kardashian lookalike, I would be like, what you saying? (laughs) (laughs) What you trying to say? Yeah, I don't know. When I was in an interracial relationship and picking out a dildo, it was very stressful. Just like, I felt like a sellout not to get a black one. Then it also felt like a sellout not to get a a white one or like to help, you know, to get what my partner had. Striped. But then I don't like that. So now I'm just, you know, hurting myself. I love the colors. I I don't mind the colors. Mm -mm. I don't like it. (laughs) Well, what about if it's the color you want, but a different shape? Like something that's like more intricately shaped, kind of like an artistic piece or something. And it can still be like the color could be white or something or like maybe just solid black. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've never a had a solid one, black one. A monochromatic one, yes. Something very chic that could also oh. like stunt double as like a coffee table piece. I think I like that. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm really into uh, sex toys that, and which, to your point, Ashley, is about what you're into. But I'm into sex toys that like make me feel elevated and chic. I can't stand the purple veiny ones or like the ones that yeah. look like, like there was the, the Womanizer, which is the toy that was like, oh. all the rave. I believed the hype about the womanizer. I saw that. Not at all. Wait, is this the one that you're about to be like, I love this one? No, I didn't mind it. It's okay for me, but they came out with a knockoff that was like a penguin. Um, So it was like a penguin mouth that you put Uh -uh. on the clit. And I was like, I don't like that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) The penguin had a bow tie as well, too. No, don't dress up for for sex. No No shame to the people who do like the penguin with the bow tie, but uh, thank you. (laughs) But I like toys that like make me feel how I feel as like a sexual woman. I feel like chic. I feel mature. I feel freaky, but I also feel unpredictable. And I also love the fact that like, my sexuality is a choice of mine. So mm. I can choose to be very sexual with you or I could choose to be, interact with you in a different way. So I like objects that don't look like they're sexy, but then when you find out they are, you're like, oh, you're a freak. I didn't know that. So <laughs> like um, that's like what attracts me in toys. <laughs> so I think that you have strong feelings on this. I'm not 100% sure. But, you know, monogamy is... Um, most people's only idea of what a relationship can be. And we know that there are other options. And just can you describe some other relationship models? And uh, what are your feelings on monogamy as the sole choice? Yes, I think monogamy as the sole choice um, is like having the only choice as a vocation in life to be like a butcher. 
probably is not going to suit a lot of people and a lot of miserable butchers, a lot of butchers who don't do great at the job. And I want, if you're going to be cutting up my meat, that you actually are dedicated to it and you like it and you want it. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I think uh, everybody should celebrate choice because when there's more choice, there's less people who are forcing themselves into scenarios that they know they can't um, uphold, that they're not designed to excel in. Yep. So I love the conversation around different forms of making commitments because it allows people to say, that one's me and that one's me. And this lack of one size fits all model hopefully leads to less lying, less mm-hmm. betrayal, less people on the down low. Because um, those manipulative, lying, um, wolf in sheep's clothing behaviors are what really cause damage in intimate relationships. It's not mm-hmm. so much about incompatibilities, because if I know that I'm a heterosexual woman and you're a homosexual man, I don't get offended by that. I know who you are and how, who I am and how we don't align together. But if I believe that I am monogamous and you tell me you're monogamous, but you're actually polyamorous, that's when we get into problems in the relationship because ultimately you can't uphold that. Mm. Okay, so could you explain a little bit about the difference between an open relationship and a polyamorous relationship? Yes. So I'll give you like a variety of different titles. You have traditional monogamy, which is one person for life. And that model would probably go along people who are religious subscribing. And so back Mm -hmm. in the day, even our grandparents' day, it was like no matter how much of an asshole either one was, it was like we're sticking together. Yeah. Um, So that's traditional monogamy. Modern monogamy is one person at a time. And that's probably more the the prevalent way of connecting now. Divorce obviously is permissible. And serial uh, monogamy is, is fine. So you're never judged if you had 40 different partners as long as you had 40 partners and they were each one at a time. <laughs> That's and crazy. then you've got, right? But it's, I mean, it's, I love it. I, I love it. It's just um, crazy, like, that distinction. Like, oh, only if you, it was one at a time, you, we don't care. But yes. the sheer number doesn't matter. Right. And then you've got monogamish, which are people who, they're by and large, like, in a monogamous relationship. But there's more fluidity around flirting more fluidity, maybe around even like a part, one partner going to a strip club or, mm-hmm. you know, having weekends apart mm-hmm. or um, mm-hmm. maybe they even engage in threesomes a little bit or they engage or flirt with other people. So there's still some sense of ability to connect with other people in a sexual way that never crosses like an emotional or physical barrier. Mm-hmm. An open relationship would be one where there's still a primary relationship, but now we both have permission to cross the emotional and physical barrier with individual people. And that's probably more of like an intentional way of engaging. And you might have like serial partners that you engage with in addition to your primary partnership. Polyamory is the idea that there is, well, poly literally means many and then amory means love. So it's like many loves. So we could all be in a relationship together. There is hierarchical polyamory where there is a primary relationship, but a lot of polyamory is egalitarian where it's like, I'm not more important than Ashley, like Shakira, like we're, our connection is no more important than mine and Ashley, like we're all just loving together and we're not placing any like, you know, importance on either one because we acknowledge that like love is in abundance. Right. Um, so I also think that like serial non-committed is a style that should be acknowledged and serial non-committed essentially means you're not looking to create like a formal partnership in terms of monogamy, but you might have like one fuck buddy for a long period of time mm-hmm. or you might like engage in like the BFE, which is the boyfriend experience, the girlfriend experience, but never ask for the title. So I guess, again, like there's we can come up with 20 more different uh, labels in this conversation. But there's a lot of different ways that people can structure their intimate connections. I think finding the word that fits you, that's where the freedom comes. 
What has that experience been like for you and your personal life? Like, have there been changes in your title? Like, what does that look like for you? Especially, you recently got married, which congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. And you're like yes, the baddest guess. pregnant person I've ever seen. Oh, respect. Uh, yes. <laughs> Shit, almost done. Fuck, it's been the longest year ever. Long year for everybody. But I'm like, this baby is making my life go by in like snail years. Um, yeah. I can't wait till it's over. Uh, but that to be said... <laughs> My relationship with my husband really has like, and speaking to that, like commitment structures, we've changed titles a bunch of times. So we started off as fuck buddies because it wasn't my friend. I didn't really know him. It was just essentially somebody, I'd come out of a relationship. He was coming out of something. And so I'm like, I just want somebody I can try all this cool shit on that I've been learning. That's all my focus is. I knew I had some emotional healing to do. I also had some immigration problems at the time. So I'm like, I'm not looking for a partner. I just want someone that I can experience pleasure and joy with. And we did that for a while and we became friends. And then we're like, okay, we're friends of benefits. So when you have a party, I might come over. I might invite you to go hiking with my friends. Like there's actually more of a communal commitment here, but there's still the focus intimately just on the sex. Yeah. And we did that for a while. And in essence, like our friendship got so strong that we ended up moving in together for three weeks, for like a short-term stint. And then we really just enjoyed that experience so much. I'm like, I love living with you. Like, I Aww. enjoy my time with you. And then we started to use the L word with each other. At that point, we're like, okay, what do we call this? Because what I love about our connection, in addition to the fact that I get along with you and we have great sex and my friends enjoy you, is that I can still be the me that I want to be, which was like the whole mm-hmm. LA, newly single, meeting people, <laughs> flirting, like, you know, I talk about sex relationships for a living. In my previous relationship, if I went into a talk and I like tied somebody up on stage, it was a problem. And I never felt that from him. And so yeah. I was like, I just want to continue what we're doing. But I also want to honor that we're more than friends with benefits. And that's when we started to use the open relationship title. And we loved that for a long time. But we switched to free relationship now. And free just in essence means that like, ask me tomorrow. You know, <laughs> just sort of the structure can change because we've definitely been monogamous for probably two years now. But you no, know, my partner has the right to come to me and vice versa if we did feel like, hey, we want to change the structure again. Hmm. So I don't use open because language is important and I don't want people who are in open relationships to feel like, well, they're not fucking anybody else. That's a lie. Uh, <laughs> but, Which who's like over there with a notepad like, OK, I'm keeping tabs. Many You'd people. be surprised. Many, I was yeah. about to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is good. I mean, that's the whole point of having more options is that there can be more fluidity. And it does. People are like, oh, it makes it more complicated. And it's like it could make it more complicated, but it also encourages you to communicate more and to ask more questions and not to be on autopilot. And like, I didn't come on this planet just to like be on autopilot. I want right. to like examine the life that I'm living. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's everyone else's commitment style? Um... I guess this is the first time I'm saying it sort of in a public way, though I've tried multiple relationship styles from monogamy to sort of open relationships or sort of like, what are we? Fluidity. I currently am in a polyamorous marriage where I date women as well as being married to the love of my life. And I don't know why I thought that would be scarier to say. OOD, y'all clearly already knew this. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, we did. But I think it's dope. Mm-hmm. Aww, thanks, Kira. I'm here for it. Y'all have definitely been there to help along the way. Of course. <laughs> I'm proud of you for being true to yourself. Get yours, girl. 
I've tried um, an open relationship, but I I also tried it as a means of ending a relationship, but not wanting to be out of the relationship yet, but wanting to date. It was like a delayed breakup strategy. Yes, absolutely. But I also have learned a lot about myself and that uh, I don't think that that's what I necessarily want. I think I was just trying to, <laughs> again, break up with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I'm monogamy. I think I'm monogamy, but I've... I've become way more open to things. Like, I definitely, like, in theory, want to be with one person ultimately. But sometimes I get scared, especially, like, in our business. Like, what if I commit to this guy and then, like, I meet, like, my real soulmate somewhere? That is a thought that comes up a lot and probably why I'm like, oh, let's not be serious. The last couple guys I talked to, I very clearly was like, I do not want anything serious, which if you asked me a year before that, I would be like, that's crazy. But then I'm like, oh, no, I own this shit. It's my choice to do whatever I want and get whatever I want. And I think when I'm ready, I would like to be in a monogamous relationship. I guess I would say uh, mostly monogamous, but I'm open to monogamish. I also feel like just based off of the industry we're in, that me kissing my scene partner is not me being in love with my scene partner, but creating a false intimacy is still creating something. And to me, what's, what are we comfortable with? Like, what is my partner comfortable with? If he's not comfortable with like even that type of thing, well then, then we uh, can't be partners because that's like... Mm-mm. Kara says she's not giving up being an actor. No, I'm not. And I'm, I'm on makeup <laughs> with you this shouldn't. man. I know. I was like, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be naked in a hot tub with my scene partner. You guys to be okay with that, you know? I like that you said monogamish because mm-hmm. I would think... I feel like strip clubs and stuff like that are like, you're either comfortable with it or not. Mm-hmm. And the fact that that plays into... The relationship title is really interesting to me because yeah. I know people in who would say they're in a monogamous relationship who go to the strip club together or with their friends or whatever and don't even like it's entertainment. Like nobody's thinking about this is cheating. But then on the contrary, it's like I know people who would like freak out if they found out their partner was in a strip club. To be honest with you, like labels really aren't that important, right? Like an apple at a grocery store doesn't need to be called an apple to know it's a fucking apple. <laughs> the label true. is for everybody else. It's for other people right. to understand and digest you in a rapid second. And so you don't have to like use a label to like structure yourself and figure out your life. You figure out your life and then you find a label that like best describes that as quickly as possible to people who don't know the complexities of who you are and what you share. But I do think that the mistake in monogamy that happens is that because monogamy is the prevalent way that people connect and it's the prevalent way people want to connect. And as a result of that, people fail to have the additional conversations around it because you're like, oh, we all know what monogamy is. And we're like, well, to your point, does that mean strip club? Does that mean not strip club? Mm-hmm. Does that mean that I can use my sexuality to try to further myself in a work environment, you know, without making any kind of contact with somebody? But are you comfortable with me playing that up or flirting with my boss. Like those extra bits of conversations, I think, need to be had regardless of what your commitment style is. Um, is there any um, any tips for aftercare for sex? You know, I've always heard that you're supposed to pee after sex. I don't even know if there's truth to that. I think I learned it in school where a lot of things are no longer true. Pluto's not a planet. Dinosaurs have different names. Um, is that a real thing? And are there any tips for aftercare that you have? Yeah, even aftercare masturbation is important, which I actually recently only just like heard about and like talked about because 
things that are underneath your nails or like things on your hands. As we talk about washing our hands more in 2020 in general, sometimes we don't think about like masturbating and washing hands before or washing afterwards as well too, or peeing afterwards, because Mm -hmm. the whole point of peeing is to like utilize the acidicness of your urine to clean out any additional bacteria that could have been introduced to the area. And so it's one of those things where it's like, it's free to do. So I can't see why you wouldn't do it. I mean, peeing in between sex for people with partners becomes really important, especially if you are using the pullout method or you're not using the barrier method to prevent, you know, pregnancy from happening. So like across the board, peeing after sex is a good practice that people should try to get into. Um, But just in general, you're just kind of thinking of like, okay, what could have moved around? What could have been introduced? And how do I remove that in a way that's not going to cause any additional harm to my body, i.e. like Maybe we use some lube or like maybe we were doing anal play in addition to doing vaginal play. And like, that's a very tricky mix if you weren't using separate tools. And so cool. Now is my time, like the sexy time is done to think about those things and how I can clean myself up and return the area back to normal. And back to normal is really important thing as well, too, because, you know, you weren't normally smelling like a pineapple you weren't normally smelling like the cottage. So mm-hmm. using any like scented soaps or douches or et cetera, like those probably aren't your best go-to. It's just like, it's a self-cleaning oven and system. So like, how do I not fuck it up? Uh, that should be like your main concerns when it comes to post-care sex. Um, okay, one more question for you before we get into our fun listeners who wrote in and have all kinds of questions for you. Okay, first of all, like porn, right? How do you think that impacts the way people see sex? Like, does liking taboo porn mean you want that in real life? Like, if you like gay sex as a straight woman, should, like, you be concerned or is that normal? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, we had a conversation, if we did have a conversation around sexual fantasy or some of the things that you've thought about while masturbating or things that you've dreamt about that have gotten you off, they probably would not be things that you want to happen to you in real life. It's just like a representation, loose representation of something that's turning you on. And so Mm. porn can actually be that for a lot of people where it's like, I don't literally want to be pile-drived, but the idea of being dominant and being used as a sex toy as my partner (laughs) really is erotic to me. What is the practical way that I can interact with that? So Mm -hmm. I think porn can be helpful if you have the additional conversations with yourself. And then also if you like put that caveat on your brain of like, people are being paid for this. (laughs) So there's going to be extra performance. There's going to be you know, additional thoughts on like how to make this look great or they stop to change camera angles. Like squirting, they drink like a gallon of water before a scene. Oh my God. That way you can get that massive gush. Or when you watch, they just, I mean, because it's energy, you don't, you know, it's entertainment. You know, if someone had like a squirt that was just like a little trickle, you'd be like, oh, (laughs) it's a pause in the wine. Nobody wants to do that while they're drinking. So it's just, you know. And sometimes, you know, when you see somebody go so seamlessly from like being vaginally penetrated to anally penetrated and there's no like prep work, you're like, wow, if you've ever tried that for yourself, you know, the asshole has to open up for you. Like it's not the other way around. Like A lot of butts are not just like ready to receive any size. And so a lot of porn stars walk around with a butt plug for like hours before a scene to loosen up and relax the muscles so that when they do do that scene, they've already put the prep work in. So I think it's important, like if you don't watch porn with that caveat, it can really be negative for you because it mismanages expectations. And of course, too, porn is based on people's fantasies and exaggerations. And so if you're trying to imitate that in your real life, that's where it gets tricky. Lose some inspiration, I think, is good. I think mimicking 
or emulating, that's where it gets tricky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shan, we are so happy that you spent this time with us and helped our listeners learn more about sex. And you know, we got just a few advice letters, just a few quick things we want to ask you. Um, so stick around with us. We're going to give some advice, but first we're going to take a little break. Welcome back, listeners. It's time for us to give some advice, but we're going to do things a little differently today. Since we have a sex and relationship expert here, um, we're going to have Shan give us her advice on a few short letters that we've received. So first up, this listener asks, I want to know your thoughts on how to better love a Black woman. I don't think I've ever asked a woman how she should be loved, and I'm a bit ashamed of that. Can you share your thoughts on how Black women want to be protected, loved, respected, and fulfilled in their interactions and love lives? It's a lot. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful question. Yeah, It's it a is. question that you should ask off the top for anybody, but it's also important that people are prepared to answer that question as well, too. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when it comes to like how to love us or how to love or how to be loved, people have never really thought about what that is for themselves um, or what their specific needs are. And so I think asking is incredible because it forces someone to start thinking about the answer to that question. But even if you're not in a partnership, you should ask that question of yourself. Like, what are the specific things that make me feel loved? What do I need in order to feel optimal in this world? What kind of connections bring out the best in me? And then the more specific you can be in the language, the better. I think that like the, the notion of like wanting to love Black women is a beautiful one. But also, too, is sometimes it's the stereotyping or the brush stroking or the assumption that there is like a one size fits all is sort of what mm-hmm. got people into the beginning problems of the the tropes that negatively impact Black women. So Mm -hmm. we don't want our solution to mirror what the problem is. So I feel like everybody, you have to ask that question to and really look at them as individuals and look at their needs and ask and be curious and listen when you get a response back. Yes. And don't judge the tone, but instead really focus on the content of it. So that would be really important. I think everybody should have a How to Love Me list. I'm going to challenge everybody on the podcast to make two different lists, okay? So, you know when you go to Ikea, you buy furniture, that you have that, like, one little pamphlet that's, like, three pages that has pictures and stuff. It's really simple. Mm -hmm. And they give you that booklet that no one reads. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel like if you can create 10 things, you know, like, your 10, like, my love language, my sex language, um, you know, when my my stress uh, coping strategies are, when I'm pissed off, do this. Um, On Sundays, this is what I want to prioritize. Whatever it is that you're, like, These are things that make me feel loved. And you can reference your relationships that are platonic as well, too, to inform that list. That's like your little cheat sheet. And then you should have something longer that you've written out for yourself that speaks about some of the pain you've gone through in the past and lessons you've learned the hard way and past things from other relationships that didn't work or did work for you. And I feel like if everybody had that list, we'd be so much more successful at looking after Mm -hmm. each other as individuals. Amen. Yeah. I love the list. I can't. I, I can't wait to make my how to love me list. Right? I'm over here taking notes. Like this isn't recorded. I'm like, oh wait, I got the. Okay, we got to put pain yeah, and lessons and the things. <laughs> uh, oh, Shan, you're so popping. Okay, so our next question reads: Dear OOD, I have been with my wife for six years, and I don't know how I feel about her anymore. Throughout our dating years and marriage years, my wife has cheated on me repeatedly. Our last situation, her other man called my job to tell me about her. 
I feel emotionally and mentally drained and don't know what to do. Can you please help? Oof. Dang. Help us help, Shane. Yes, I want to hear, like, here's reactions to this because you have such a visceral reaction. So I want to hear what you think. I mean, Oof. I think he has to, they have to break up. Clearly. Yeah, that's disrespectful. If if you haven't yeah. established that you're both okay with, with an that, open relationship, mm-hmm. this yeah. is it, it's cheating yeah. is what you're calling it. So y'all aren't. Yeah, she's cheating. And then also on top of that, the dude calling you at work? This is out of control. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. That was my visceral reaction because that just seems like it's taking a toll on you, whoever wrote yeah. this. And that's not okay. I do want to say, I don't know if he's talked to his wife, so I, I want him to communicate with her. Yeah. But also, seems like a not great situation. Yeah. It feels like the question isn't like, why are you staying? But it's like, why is your partner staying? Mm. Um, if your partner is like repeatedly stepping out of the contract the two of you have made, if they are actively damaging the relationship and not prioritizing your feelings, like what, what joy are you getting out of sticking around? Um, and the quote that like, I learned in like high school that always stuck with me it was like a psychology class. It was, they said, the person who cares the least controls the relationship. And so sometimes when you hear those stories of the person who's like being really manipulative, you're like, why the fuck are you stringing this person along? Like, it's very difficult. Obviously, it sounds like for you, because even despite all of this, you still don't necessarily know how to feel. So I would probably come up with like more of a clear action plan. I, I don't know about everybody else here, but I've definitely been with a partner who was a serial cheater. And, uh, you know, it's a serial boundary manipulator and a serial boundary crosser. And what helped me to really get out of it was to create like a really clear plan of exit. And so I just like gave it one more chance. One, I was really clear about like, here's what I need from you. Mm-hmm. So my how to love me list. Like, I don't want any more ambiguity or confusion. Here's what our connection is. Here's how to love me. Here's what I'm asking for of you in return. I'm willing to give this one more shot because I've made a really strong commitment to you and I want to uphold that. But we're back in a probation period with each other. Yeah. And if during that time there is any type of breach of trust or there's no effort on their part to go to therapy or like really work on the problems that are like really plaguing your relationship, then that's when you have to be like, okay, I'm giving this until this month. And if that doesn't happen, one, I'm calling five people who are closest to me who can be accountability partners Two, like I'm actively dissolving the relationship where I'm finding somewhere else to live. Like it's not just like this airy thing that can be left to your interpretation. Cause I'm assuming you probably tried to leave several times before, but if you want to give it one more shot, have that really clear conversation, set out your boundaries, talk about it being a probation period, let them know the stakes are higher this time around. And then even win, lose or draw, don't wait to see if it's going good or bad, create your action plan of exit today and set a date for yourself and then communicate that to people who can be accountability partners for you. Um, that was what really helped me get out of a relationship. And like that was the difference between the one time I found out they were cheated versus the 17 other times I found out they cheated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that helped. Last one. Dear OOD, I'm 28 years old and I've never masturbated. When I told my friends, they seemed shocked. I've had sex before, but having sex with myself just seems weird. Is it normal to be weirded out by masturbation? Any advice on how to make it less weird? Oh, I mean, I personally think you have to get comfortable with yourself because you won't ever be fully transparent with your partners if you can't be transparent with yourself. Whether that leads to masturbation or not, I think that's where she should start. 
And as much as I love vibrators, I'm also like, you can start with your hands because even mm-hmm. just down to that, think about men touch their dicks daily. Women barely get, like they hold them and take pride and hold yeah. and then touch. Adjusting them. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, <laughs> women are like, I haven't looked at my vulva in my whole life. They haven't touched it and felt it and fallen in love with it. So I think she can start with that. Okay, expert Kira. <laughs> I, I feel like it's okay to not like to masturbate. I get. I mean, it's it's in, to everybody's point here. It's a wonderful way to, get to know yourself, to communicate to other people, to learn a language, um, and to be descriptive about what it is that you like or uncover new things that you like. So mm-hmm. it's like a free university that you're always already in class because you own your body. So there are so many advantages to utilizing that uh, as a way to express your sexuality or enjoy your sexuality. But on the flip side, not everybody likes pizza. Not everybody <laughs> likes, you know. <laughs> but if somebody asks you, you know, why don't you like pizza? You probably would have a really specific good answer. And what I think about this question that feels like cause for pause is that it's not like you're saying, I don't like masturbation because I have better orgasms with a partner and I live with somebody who's uh I have sex with frequently, so Mm -hmm. I don't ever feel a need to engage my body in that way. Or honestly, to goodness, like so much of my uh, sexual desire is based on visual and intimate connections. And I never feel like I can get that with self-partnering. You know, matter how much fantasy or no matter how much porn I watch, like it just doesn't really do it for me. Mm. So I think you probably have to ask yourself a few more questions. Mm -hmm. Um, Is it coming from shame? Is it coming from personal taste? Is it coming from, you know, feeling ugly in your body or is it just coming from like, it's just not my shit. Um, And that's a really valid answer. To our listener, I would definitely recommend, as we learned today, do a yoni puja, get you a mirror, celebrate your yoni and... uh, I thought you were going to recommend the penguin with the bow tie. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think we all said that that wasn't our thing. (laughs) Go on and rent that Happy Feet DVD. And- <laughs> <laughs> that That's your point. That's your point. Uh, Shan, again, we're so happy that you joined us and we thank you for all the time that you shared and all the wisdom. Do you have any final words of wisdom? And then let us know where our listeners can find you. I feel like, you know, be the change you wish to see in the world, much is is cliche and it's definitely not my quote. Um, I think what's beautiful about that is if you're listening to this and you're like, I want to be more sexually adventurous or I want to have a partner who is comfortable with me having sex toys in the bedroom um, or I want to try a non-monogamy, whatever it is that you want to try. It's like being the leader in your own intimate life, being mm. in the driver's seat of it. I feel like uh, people who identify as women in particular are oftentimes very passive when it comes to their intimate lives. Mm-hmm. If they're waiting for the right partner to pick them or they're waiting for their partner to bring up sex toys before they feel comfortable saying, I actually own one. So. Rather than waiting to meet that great person, you should be going out every day with the intention of meeting exceptional people to see if any of them feel like, I want to get to know you more. So being in the driver's seat, I think, of your intimate life is probably the most enjoyable trip that you will ever take and one that will more than likely get you where you want to go versus being passive. And to find me, I just want to say I have a show on Quibi called Sexology that's five days a week. I love it, though, because every day is a different topic. Like even when you guys first brought up that question, I was like, I wonder if they're part of the asexual umbrella in some capacity. Like maybe they are demisexual and it's only through like a romantic connection. Do they feel a sexual desire and they don't feel a romantic connection with themselves? So that like you can watch an episode all about that and be like, yeah, that's me or that's not me. That's my probably biggest and proudest body of work right now. 
Yay. It's amazing. Man, you're so, so dope, dude. Thank you, OOG. It's such a loving conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I can really easily walk up to this group right now. Yes, <laughs> you could. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much, Shan. We learned so much on this episode, y'all. I'm going to make my How to Love Me list right away. Yes. What a great prompt. Yes. And we got so much language around how to talk about what our fantasies are and how to bring in toys in the bedroom. It was a lesson, y'all. So we appreciate y'all tuning in. Please remember, listeners, share, review this podcast. It really helps us out to know what y'all think. Yes, please. And also make sure to come hang with us on the socials. Uh, our Insta is at Obama's Other Daughters, OOD Improv on Twitter, Facebook, Obama's Other Daughters. You know where to find us. Yeah, y'all do. And if y'all need some advice, you know someone who needs some advice, send us a letter at oodpodcast at gmail.com. We'll see y'all next week. Bye. Bye, guys. You Down is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.